0: Welcome to the Passwell CMO Series podcast, where we discuss all things marketing, and business development in the world of professional services. Now, today's episode is something a little bit different. In fact, it's a first. Recently, I was fortunate enough to be down in Nashville at the LMA Southeast Annual Conference, and in fact, opened up the conference with a wonderful live podcast. I say live, entirely new. um, And this was done with Eleanor Smith from Barnes & Thornburg, who's Chief Client Officer there. And during this episode, uh, we were actually discussing what it's like to move your marketing from transactional to to strategic. Uh, It's a wonderful session. So let's cut across to the live audio. And I hope that everybody enjoys this. Welcome to the Passel CMO Series podcast live. This is actually the first time that we've ever done this. So if there's any mistakes or it doesn't work out, then don't come to me. Freddie's in the room, attack him at the back. It was his idea. Um, so in terms of what to expect from today, I want to do some introductions before we kind of got into anything. So we're really fortunate to be joined by Eleanor Smith, who is the Chief Client Officer at Barnes & Thornburg. And she's very much going to be the star of the show today. So I'm going to let Eleanor introduce herself.
1: Hi, everybody. Um, Eleanor Smith, Chief Client Officer at Barnes and Thornburg. I have been there about a year and a half. Um, so very much new to the firm and then new in a chief role. Um, this is the firm's first Chief Client Officer. There was a, a preceding Chief Marketing Officer. So I'll talk a lot about kind of how that has changed and the vision that we had for the role and how we're working through, you know, shifting that in the department. Um, Prior to that, I was at Bass Sims for 17 years, which is here in Nashville, and so there are some Bass people here today. Um, that's where I learned almost everything I know and have put that into use at Barnes, so I'll talk a little bit about that as well.
0: Thank you very much. And for those of you who don't know, I'm Alistair Bone at Passel. A little bit about me. Despite the accent, I actually live here in the U.S. was fortunate enough to move over to D.C. just over three months ago. Um, prior to joining PASL, uh I was fortunate enough that I used to play professional rugby, but sadly had to retire due to injury, uh, and then have been on, I guess in some ways, uh, an interesting journey that's ended up bringing me here to do a live podcast in Nashville, so who would have thought? But um, it's great to be here, and really looking forward to this. So in terms of what to expect from today, we're actually going to deep dive into moving your marketing from transactional to strategic, and hopefully throughout the conversation, one of the things that's really going to come through is actually how you can build a far more valuable and valued marketing career, be that within the legal and professional service space, or maybe there'll be takeaways that you take away and move on and, and use that elsewhere as well. So without further ado, wanted to get into it and let's just help sort of set the scene around all of this. When we talk about transactional and strategic, um, what do you actually mean by that and why is it important for marketing and BD professionals? And then when we start to think about that a little bit further and a little bit deeper, is that something that's just important for CMOs or actually is it something that everybody should be really considering at this point?
1: Uh, so when I say transactional versus strategic, you know, I think when I started out, you know, a long time ago, it was very much the attorney asks you to do something and you say yes. They ask again, you say yes. So we were a bunch of yes men. And now, of course, it's evolved into what it is today. And, you know, much more strategic, deliberate, intentional. How are we? Generating revenue for the firm, which is really the ultimate question. How are we adding dollars to the firm? I tell, you know, my team all the time, and that's what I said from the beginning and and what I told the leadership of the firm. We have two jobs at the end of every day. If we've, if we have gotten our attorneys closer to a new dollar, whether that's a new dollar from a current client or a new dollar from, you know, a prospective client, whatever we have done to propel them closer, we have done our job for that day whatever that may be, a pitch, a webinar, you know, whatever the activity is. And the other thing is, what have we done to make our attorneys' lives easier and to make them look good? So what have we taken off of their plate or what efficiency have we put in place that is going to make this easier because they live by the billable hour? And that determines their entire day, their psyche, their mood for the day and everything that they do. And we don't live by the billable hour. So we have that at our advantage um, so transactional, meaning we're not just yes men. We are not just order takers. We are strategic advisors helping them decide what is worth their time, what is worth our time. And, you know, it takes the same amount of time for us to work on something that has zero potential for ROI as it does something that has a lot of potential for ROI. So how do you want me to spend my time? Do you want me and our team to spend it over here or do you want us to spend it over here? We will tell you where we think it should be spent, but that we'll get to that in a minute about how you convince your firm and your attorneys which way it should go because, you know, a lot of attorneys want a lot of different things and it's not always necessarily the most effective use of everybody's time. Um, for a little bit of context, which I think is always helpful, Barnes is, almost 800 attorneys in 23 offices. So we have a fair amount of smaller offices. Most of their growth has happened in the last five to seven years. So they have more than doubled in that short amount of time. Um, They have a great playbook for growth and for onboarding. And, um, you know, but it's happened a lot. So it is a very different firm from just as recently as, you know, 7 years ago it looks completely different. So when I came on board the idea was how are we going to catch up the business functions to where the firm sits now because they had been through so much change and a lot of the business functions of the firm were lagging behind what the growth was because you know it's no fault of their own they were just so so focused on adding these attorneys What departments and practice areas and specialties are we adding? Getting these people in the fold and getting them to, you know, generate revenue as fast as possible. And then, and then they were just focused that way because they were growing. And so now they're kind of pausing and saying, okay, let's catch up, you know, the business function of the firm so that we can make sure that this is all running. And what I say is running like a company. This is a company. Yes, it's a law firm, but this is a business. So we're going to run this like a business.
0: I think one of the interesting things you touched upon there is that it's something that I think throughout the market people are starting to really see is that actually from a marketing perspective and BD perspective, particularly your, your CMOs, Chief Client Officers, you're actually the co-pilots now. You're sitting in the cockpit with people driving this all forward and actually probably coming out the door, you've got all of your team there knocking at it, ready to be a part of it. So mm-hmm. it's really something that's starting to be seen in the, in the market. I know that from the conversations we had at Barnes & Thornburg, when they thought about bringing you in… That was exactly what they were looking at is like, mm-hmm. how can we actually drive this strategic thought? So, actually, on that, it'd be quite good to kind of, I suppose, drill into it a little bit more and, and understand a little bit more how you came to be in that role. Um, and, and how actually, when we consider this topic, how you've seen that bigger picture across the market really start to change in terms of the movement from transactional to strategic. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: so, like I mentioned, I've, been in legal marketing for over 17 years. Before that, I was at a small public affairs PR shop in here in Nashville. Um, then I went to um, Baker Donaldson for like six months, but I couldn't hack it.
0: <laughs> Sorry, Adam. <Abby.
1: laughs> um I was the first person in the Nashville office doing marketing. And so it was very much all these attorneys came to me, you know, let's do this, let's do that. And I was like very young and didn't know what I was doing. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is very much reactive to whatever they wanted. And, you know, so then a spot opened up at Bass. I went over there, just, you know, lateral move to a, a team that was all based in Nashville. And so that was more helpful because I was very, I was young at the time and like did not know what I was doing. So when I got to Bass, started out in um, PR and then moved to a business development role. And that was, I was supporting the corporate group. And then we started talking about how to make healthcare a major focus of Bath. So this was, you know, 15 years ago. Um, so I started with them in a very early stage of how are we going to take this regulatory group of, you know, 15 attorneys and turn it into an industry group that the, you know, country sees as a true healthcare law firm. And that was, you know, sort of how are we going to use Nashville and the business community here? To, you know, generate brand and market awareness and, you know, publicity around what are we doing? So I kind of grew up with them and, and we'll get to this in a little bit. But the thing that was the differentiator for me was learning that industry, that practice, the attorneys, the clients, being market facing, getting to actually know the clients. I mean, it was very rare for marketing and BD people to have any client facing interaction that, you know, at the time. They were willing to let me do that. Um, I wasn't necessarily playing a super pivotal role at that time, to be quite honest, but I was there absorbing as much as I could. I joined the American Health Association, like all the things, you know, and that made a difference between me being able to be an order taker and, you know, put on the cocktail reception, which is valuable and we have to do that. But being an advisor and saying, well, did you think of this? And did you think of that? And that company bought that company and now they have this service and we should be there and connect those dots. And that was really what made a huge difference. Um, so I grew up with them to the point where, you know, I was in every healthcare partner meeting. And now that is the system that, you know, Bass and a lot of other firms have, have adopted. I mean, I say to the attorneys a lot, You can have a meeting without a business professional in there, but you're just going to have to have that meeting again. So why would you even think of doing that? If you don't have one of us in there, you might as well all go home. Like nothing will get done. No one is figuring out what needs to happen next. No one is making it, making you accountable or deploying the business professionals to then execute that. So you can have a meeting all day long, but if we aren't there, you can forget it. And so then they're like, Oh, right. I don't want to do this twice. So then, then all of a sudden it sort of self propels. And now we're in every room and every conversation. And, you know, but that's where we want to be.
0: So if you consider that bigger picture, do you think that whole idea of, you know, if you take from your own personal experience, the deepening of the understanding around particularly healthcare there in that example has enabled you to then. Be that strategic partner as opposed yes. to, yes. you say, just doing, putting on the cocktail reception, those yes. sorts of things. Yeah. So I guess on the flip side, before we get, get really deep into it, you know, what actually do you think broadly are some of the biggest challenges that are going to be faced when you're transitioning from that transactional to a more strategic uh, yeah. marketing function?
1: So if you're not at a firm that is used to having you in the room and a seat at the table all the time. And so if you're senior in career, that's a little bit easier because you've got the confidence and you've got the experience and you can kind of hold your own and this is why I should be in here. If you are mid-career or junior in career, that's harder, right? And so there's probably someone ahead of you that is the one who maybe should be in there. Hopefully, and what I like to do is bring, you know, the person who's supporting me along in that and then they learn how to talk the talk, speak it, live it, and then of course executing on it and can execute on it, I'm sure at this point, faster and better than, than I can at this stage. But, you know, how are we determining what's valuable and what's not? And then the hardest part is looking at an attorney and telling them their idea is not, go- not going to work. I mean, that's, that is hard because they all think that they're right. No offense to the attorneys in the room, but their entire job is based around poking holes in something or redlining something or finding the fault with it because they have to defend or make it happen and it has to be perfect. So their entire job is to tell you all the things you didn't think about or all the things that are wrong or could go wrong with what you're proposing to them. And that's okay, as long as you understand that and you can hold your own against that, you'll be fine. It takes some time to get to that confidence level, to be able to have those conversations. And the only way you're gonna get there is by being in the room with them and, and learning that, gaining their trust, which we all know, of course, which then in turn gains confidence. And then if you can prove it, that it worked, or you can prove that something before you did not work, and then you tie it all back to the billable hour or to cash,
0: you're in. It's an interesting one because I think with all of that, it's not just about what you've been sharing there, but it's that understanding of instilling in certainly more of your like junior team members. I think for anybody here who's probably in a slightly more senior position, is like how can you give people the... I guess, confidence to have that that sort of expansive mindset, that growth mindset that actually they can go in there and have the confidence to be like, I actually know what I'm talking about here. I'm gonna tell you that and be able to actually direct where we should be going with these sorts of things mm-hmm. and stand up for what I know. Even if that stuff around, like it might be social media, it might be around a particular topic or something, but it's not just around strategic element. is actually about instilling that kind of confidence in people, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and that leads us on quite nicely, I suppose, into what we were talking about before the session was actually that whole idea of marketers really deepening their understanding around what they're doing. And I know when we were speaking, you made this really interesting comment around how ultimately you're never going to fully understand what you're selling. And I'll let you kind of speak about that a bit more. But I would love you to sort of maybe dive into that a little bit more mm-hmm. and open up sort of some of that yeah. conversation there.
1: Um, so what I told Ali was the bizarre thing about a professional services marketing and BD job is that we will never do the thing that we're selling. I will never lead an M&A deal. I will never be in court. I will never, you know, you know, I don't know, write a contract. Whatever the thing is, we will never, unless you are, have your JD and were a practicing attorney at one point in your life, we will never do the thing that we are selling. And so that's very odd it's not a product, it's not it's something you can hold, it's a service, and we don't know how to execute the service actually. I mean, we don't do that. So we have to learn everything we can around it and then help them craft the story to sell that piece. And if if you don't understand what they do for a living and you don't understand what their industry is, and I mean the client's industry, and then how the client fits into that. And then what is the service we're doing? And beyond that, what is that value? How do we make the money? How is it profitable? And that's the huge key is, you know, our, our number one goal is to bring profitable clients to the firm, not, you know, so we can get into that too. But ultimately you can't help do that unless you understand the, their day to day, their practice, what they do for a living the sector, and the clients, and what the clients need, because we don't actually do the service that we're, you know, coaching them to sell. Um, I should back up and say, our team is 58 people, and when I got there, it was 21 people, but that's because it was 21 people in BD, and then communications and marketing were sitting off to the side, kind of over here. And it took about three months and you know, it was very obvious, of course, just probably like it is in all of your firms, we should all be together. Like that's not really rocket science. Like we should all be working together because it's much more efficient and we need to know what the other one is doing. So I took them on January one, and so all of a sudden, you know, my team goes from twenty-one to fifty something, and then I've hired eight to ten people throughout the last you know year and a half. And half of the team has only been with the firm five years or less. So our team is learning the firm. I mean, half of them, or more than half, wasn't really sure how the firm even makes money. You know, we have CRBA, CRWA, so cash receipts by billing attorney, cash receipts by working attorney. So that, of course, is a huge psychological, you know, it it creates behavior and a psychological, not shift, but it is... it is it explains where they're coming from and what motivates them based on how they get paid, of course. So teaching the team that and following the dollar the whole way through the client journey, but also how we are a part of that, is was eye-opening for a lot of people. I think no one had just sat down and taught anybody how the law firm is actually run and works. When I was at Bass, Bass is incredibly good about having business professionals in the room and trusting them and letting them be there, but also giving them all the transparency for the information. So it's an open system, but we had access to that and could see all of that. And so, you know, it was really, really helpful to us. If you're in a firm that is holding you back from the information that you need and they don't understand why the marketing person would need to see everything about the money and the comp system. I mean, I'm talking about how much money the attorney makes. I mean, that is important too. Now, some firms are like, well, why would you need to know that that's so private? I mean, but it matters, right? A a law firm is a hierarchy and let's not kid ourselves about that. And it's just true. It doesn't mean everybody's not important, but it certainly means that there are some players who know how to get it done. There are some players who couldn't close a sale to save their life, but they are very valuable to the firm in other ways. Again, it takes us the same amount of hours to service an underperforming partner as it does a really high performing partner. So it's not to say that we're going to ignore the underperformers, but you have to find the strengths and the strategy that works right for them. And you certainly can't just say yes to everything because then you are going back to traditional transactional marketing, which is just you ask, I say yes, you ask, I say yes, as opposed to the whole point of it, which is strategic marketing, but you have to have a firm that is willing to let you do that. And it takes for the old guard or the people who have been there a long time who say, well, I was just a good lawyer and the work fell in my lap and that's all I need to do, which we all have those. You know, they're either gonna get on board over time because they see how it's working, but you have to prove how it's working or they're not going to. And if they're not going to, we just let them go. And we Mm. focus over here because you can't change somebody's stripes over time. Um, You can try, but generally they sort of are wired the way that they're wired. Um, Does
0: that answer it? Yeah, it's a good answer. But in terms of like you mentioned there, changing somebody's stripes—if you think Mm -hmm. about your team—and you said you've been there for like five years, you're basically trying to take people on essentially a strategic journey. You know, if you look at yourself, you have obviously an amazing opportunity at BAS to really focus in on healthcare and become an expert in that area. Are you encouraging your team to kind of go, hey, you're really interested in technology, mm-hmm. align yourself to that, deep dive into it, make sure that you're seen as the expert for that, or are you mm-hmm. trying to get people to kind of be a bit more of a broad, broad brush approach to it?
1: Yeah, so definitely um, trying to get them, teaching them, providing opportunities to learn the very specific practice type of law sector that they're working in. Um, prior to me getting there, the Business development and marketing functions were, well, the business development side, I'll go with that one, was strictly based on headcount. You know, we're just going to divide up the attorneys, service them. We kind of hope everybody has about 50 or 40. I'm kind of making that up. But, But, you know, so you take litigation. Oh, litigation is huge, so you really need four people. Real estate is small, so you probably just need one, you know. And it was really just based on divide and conquer, which is how a lot of firms do it or did do it. Now we are, we still have to do that for manpower and volume purposes, but now we are also aligning the practices together Mm -hmm. and who you serve. So transactional stays on one side, litigation has a different team, because the way a transactional team and a litigation team go and chase business is totally different. It's all based on relationships, and we know that, but it's very different. So we had the IP group and the real estate group attached at the hip, and that doesn't make any sense. And that was simply a headcount play based on volume and just, mm-hmm. like I said, dividing and conquering the manpower. We have taken that apart and then re recast people on the team based on either their strength or what or how it matches with what the attorneys are doing. This year, what we're going to do, now that we have kind of reorganized ourselves and gotten ourselves in place, is an internal education function just for our department so each team is going to be required to teach the rest of the department everything they need to know about ip in 12 slides or less everything they need to know about real estate every you know and then some of our higher you know we call them departments and then we do practice groups under that every term, i mean not every firm is uses the same nomenclature so when i say that our departments are litigation corporate ip real estate and so on the practice groups would then be under litigation, you know, white collar insurance recovery, you know, so on and so forth. So we'll pick the highest, um, most just strategic practice groups, and then we'll also do departments, but we'll do like a self-education program um, mm-hmm. in order to do that. Because right now we're we're not where we need to be, and therefore that's coming through and how everybody's drafting content. And it's where that's a weakness of ours that we're working on, um, which is our number one initiative, probably, Mm. other than ROI tracking, which we'll talk about um, for next year.
0: Sure. I think something that's quite interesting there as well in terms of when you talk about, you know, you can do the internal piece in terms of education for people. That touched upon the note of obviously harmony for this, which is lovely. But in terms of what you're achieving there is something that we spoke about with. So Crossley Sanford, who is the CMO Ankua, which is a global consultancy. She had a big shift in her team as well in terms of how they approach everything. One of the things she spoke about was actually getting her team to understand that the consultants, or in this case, the attorneys are your client. So actually it's, how would you approach that? You know, but being able to achieve ultimately the same outcome that they're trying to achieve with their clients with them internally and approaching it in that way and having that mindset rather than actually just kind of you say at the very start being transactional so it's mm-hmm. really truly understanding that on that deeper level and let's not kid ourselves obviously it's not just about the marketing and bd professionals in this room and at the law firms it's actually about the attorneys having a shift in mindset as well is there mm-hmm. something that you've seen at bars and thornburg or is it something you can maybe expand on a little bit more in terms of what you see there
1: about how to get them to shift their yeah, mindset and accept yeah. that we are get part them to of the yeah, that yeah. So as crass as it may sound, it's about the money. So if you can turn your the perception of your department into and we've all heard it or read articles about it, a you know a value center, a profit center, not just a cost center. We're not just overhead. You know how is you know. We're not just a bunch of people, you know, with salary. I mean, I've gotten a lot of questions because once we became one department of 58, before it was three separate verticals, and it wasn't until we became one department of 58, it was the same number of people doing the same jobs. And then all of a sudden partners are coming to me like, "What, "What? what is happening here? Like, why are there so many people? You guys seem to cost a lot. And I'm like, well, you just added the numbers. It's the same people doing the same. So that took some like, unless you were in the management committee and you were a leader of the firm who was part of that decision, you know, there, and that's 40 people, you know, there are 410 other partners that are like, all they see is just a big, you know, a long list of headcount with salaries and like titles that they don't understand, you know, like strategic content manager. And they're like, what is that? So it took a lot of education and convincing and but the original point being, it's convincing them that we are there to provide value, but we are there to help them make money, period. It is, you know, and that's it. I mean, it's a business. That's what we're doing. So what we have started to do is track every single activity, and my team probably wants to kill me, but that is the difference. So now we know almost The dollar, we're getting better at it because it's a hard, it's hard to track everything. How much are we really contributing to the bottom line? So, there we developed an ROI tracking system. You all may already have one, you know, but we we did it internally because there was no system for it. Um, There is hard ROI, which is cash, and soft ROI, which is brand advancement, community engagement, things that won't. Probably bring a dollar in immediately or ever, but it needs to happen, of course. So we also account for that soft versus hard ROI. And then because we have a lot of attorneys that don't really understand, like, how are you ever going to, to track that? If it can't be done unless a marketing or BD or comms person is involved, it goes in the pot. And we are at seven million give or take, a little bit, and this is, you know, whatever it is. We're in November. And we have only tracked or been able to follow up with half of the activities. So, you know, we've done 900 events, and that's anything from – so that sounds like a lot, but it is a lot. But that's anything from an in-person event to a cocktail reception to a webinar um to a CLE, you know, for a client. So there's 900 of those. There's 1,500 pitch books. There's 500 – you know, sponsorships. Out, If you add all those together, we're in the tracking system for about 750 entries. So that's not even all of the ones, you know, that's a little more than half of what we have done. This is because it takes a lot of work to get everything loaded in there. And we're going to figure out over time, like how to better do that. Do we hire someone that, that does it for everybody, like a data steward? How do we do that? At the end of the day, so far, what we have been able to follow up, you know, has gotten us north of $7 million. And that's amazing for where we are now, for what our budget is, for what our salaries are. I mean, we are more than paying for ourselves. And once we started showing that to them, and if you're already doing it, like, you know, I think that is incredible and it's very hard to do. So if we can change their mind shift to revenue, revenue enablement um, and then show them at, you know, over and over and over again, how that money is growing and coming in every month, they will start to get it and then they will let go and then they will let you in the room and they will listen to you about what is worth doing and what is not worth doing.
0: That's really important. I mean, the whole element of revenue generation is just so important for fundamentally the lawyers because that's what they're being, you say, valued on and that's where for what you're valued on. It was interesting when I spoke to Deborah Ruffins over at Perkins Coie, she was saying that and mm-hmm. she was talking about how actually in her very first interview for Perkins Coie as a CMO, she actually went in there and she basically did yeah. essentially a sales pitch in terms of why it was so important to have a revenue growth mindset and all these sorts of things. And from the very start, set that out, that this is actually, as a function, what we're doing and this is this why it's so important. You may hear there's a slight pause here in the conversation. In fact, there was a question from Adam Severson, who is the CMO over at Baker Donaldson. And he was asking Eleanor at this point what it was that she was using from a metric standpoint to be able to demonstrate back to the attorneys, back to the rest of the firm um, in terms of what she was doing in, on that ROI. We
1: aren't attaching dollars to that. So that's why we're, we kind of put it to the side and categorize it as soft. But if it has analytics with it, how many people showed up? How many did we invite? You know, how many of those were clients? I mean, that's the part it takes, you know, additional analysis because it's not going to turn on, you know, turn into cash. So we do pull that out and then analyze it that way to make sure we want to do it again. So it's not, yeah, it's definitely no cash attached to it. Mm-hmm. But if it has, branding, any type of analytics that could come with it. I mean, we're using Passel. There's a ton of data coming out of that. That is, you know, we're not, we will eventually be able to track that to cash when work comes in from it, which will happen. But right now it's definitely more about, you know, the analytics that are just coming off of that. But if it was a charitable contribution sponsorship, we just make sure people show up. And if they don't, we're not going to do it again.
0: I think the big thing there, though, that's sort of an overarching theme of all of this is actually data. Yeah. Um, you say that, that ROI is, you know, what is actually coming in in terms of cost versus output, et cetera. So when you look at that in the theme of this conversation, you know, that transactional marketing versus a strategic marketing, do you think there's a difference of how the data is maybe used and actually yeah. how you can get the most out of that?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, forever ago, we weren't using data at all, really. I mean, it, you know, we were. We were taking the task, executing. Like we may, you know, track who came to the event, how many, but and how much the event cost us to put on, but we weren't really tying that back to clients. And I mean, this is, I'm talking, you know, 10 years ago. Now, you know, everything we're doing is based around data because we are now running it more like a company and less like, you know, a law firm with a marketing team that sits in the basement and waits to put the logo on the PowerPoint. I mean, that's what it used to be. It's not like that anymore, thankfully. There are probably some firms who still feel that way. And so that's, you know, I've, if you are at a firm like that, and that's the biggest challenge is convincing them, you know, that, that there's so much more to it than just that. But the data tells the story, just like in any other company. Um, now there are, you know, tons of technology vendors, systems, I mean, using that and then reporting that back to leadership is a huge disconnect that we have seen or that I have seen in the last year and a half we were collecting some of it but there we weren't really doing anything with it on an automated in an automated way so sharing our wins essentially and mm-hmm. proving what our value is and so i think i have probably emailed every CMO in the room, including Adam, and they're like, how do you communicate this back? Like, in what form? So that they will read it and then go. So we're developing an automated reporting mechanism for that to connect those dots together. I said
0: there, like, ultimately, data is king. And that's what that all comes back to is actually, when you were mentioning it earlier, a lot of the attorneys will pick holes in what people are doing. That's the way that they're meant to when they look at contracts. But actually, there's nothing... That they can do when it comes to data to pick a hole in it because it's very factual and that is exactly what it is which then mm. lends it to being strategic and actually adding true value so if we start to zoom in a little bit we've obviously covered off quite a few things on a macro level around challenges and shifts and the benefits of data there do you think we could just drill down a little bit into maybe a campaign or initiative that you've been doing that you've sort of seen that's been really beneficial um and that kind of hopefully will demonstrate to everybody a little bit of how like strategic marketing looks in practice
1: yeah Um, so I've covered several of these things kind of already, so I won't, you know, keep going with a lot of them, but the, I would say the, there's two things that we're highly focused on going for three, actually. One is this ROI tracking. So that's a huge initiative. And then the reporting that comes out of it, which I've already talked a lot about, so I won't keep going with that. The second is, um, content improvement. So. The, we are doing a rebrand and a website build, so that's just getting started. So we're looking at the next, you know, 16 months of hell. And it's, you know, and because it's a totally different firm than it was, as you know, like I said in the beginning, only, you know, six years ago, based on how much we've grown. So it's a totally different place. It has a, a new managing partner, a new chief client officer, excuse me, and a whole new structure for marketing and BD. So it's all new and it's all different. I have torn the budget apart and I'm putting it back together. And that's a huge undertaking in and of itself. The budget, we have 78 GLs in our budget. Um, it's complicated. It's a mess. And I've pulled the whole thing apart and we're now we are building the plane as we're flying it because you couldn't halt the budget for six months to clean it up and. You know, cause the money just keeps obviously coming in and going out. So that part is huge. And that's also an education shift, but that is also a very strategic, very deliberate piece of it. The attorneys were, they thought of the budget as their own personal marketing budget. So I don't know how your firm does it. If you actually even do it that way, we don't do it that way, but every partner in the firm thought they did. They would say, what is in my budget? What is left in my budget? What, do-? and so it would be November and they would say, what's left in my budget? And we would go back and say, this is predated me, but you asked for $20,000 worth of stuff. You've only used 12. You, you have $8,000 left. And then they would go try to spend $8,000 as fast as they could in 60 days or less with no strategic Thought whatsoever because it was like use it or lose it. Well, if I don't use it, then I'm not going to get it back next year. I mean, so it's, it's, and that's a huge behavior change and a huge mind shift about how money is, how the budget is both determined and then how it is spent on the other end. And when you start messing with their money, even if it's the same amount dollar for dollar in the pot, and, but you start messing with how it is viewed or used, it's been a huge shift to stop every single person before they try to spend anything and say, okay, what is the goal here? What are we doing? Did you do this last year? How did it go? Because none of that data was in there. You know, what came of it? Is this proportionate to how much money the client is bringing in? Are you just getting, you know, is this a client shakedown and this really will lead to nothing, but we need to do it anyway? Are we sure we need to? I mean, so we have had to stop people in their tracks at every single turn, but we are trying to position that as we're not here. We're not the police with no badge. We are just here to help you get the most, the best chance for ROI, the best likelihood for success. And that's been a, that's been the one of the biggest things that we have done in the last year and a half, which we will have to continue to do, of course, because it's not, we have not tied it up pretty yet. Um, the other thing is the content improvement. So we, with our rebrand and website, you know, all the pages, you all have all done this before, but they all have to be re- rewritten. It's a totally different firm. Everything in our, you know, off the shelf, I mean, is not good. It doesn't tell our story. It's, it do, it's not, you know, it doesn't illustrate who we are now. So that all has to come down, and we have to start that over. And that's the thing, I think, that the attorneys, that's the most visible piece, that and the ROI, and those are the two things they seem to care about the most. So that's where we're starting, of course.
0: So both of those are ultimately really pretty major projects that you've obviously been involved with and had the team involved with. How have you found that on a personal level doing that, if you don't mind me asking, in terms of ultimately coming in and just shaking things up and turning it upside down and going this is what we're going to do? Yes, you're still going to have your 10 pounds, 10 bucks, sorry. But, you know, how are you actually going to design that in a slightly different way? Uh, no, <laughs> of course not. Of course not. But yeah, how, how have you found that on a personal level in terms of coming in and, and ultimately changing that and probably banging your head against the wall at yeah. the times?
1: Yeah. So on a personal level, it's very stressful. Um, it is a lot. And we joke all the time, and you say, bang your head against the wall, that I need a helmet, like, next to me <laughs> on my computer. And just some days you have to, like, put it on and bang your head against the of you know, 10 or 12 times and then go back to it. Um, it is because we're doing a lot of things at once. And being new to the firm has its advantages because you can ask the dumb questions and they're not really dumb, but you're trying to get somebody to answer it. Like, OK, explain this to me like I'm a three-year-old or why is it like this? And then when they start talking about it, you can pick apart the six different ways that's probably not a very good idea or here's the better way we, you know, we think we should do this. So if I can at least get the dirty laundry and the political issues and all of those things kind of up in the surface, because I can say, well, I haven't been here, so I don't know. So let's talk about all of those implications or the history behind why one attorney wanted to do this, but the other one didn't, and who's gonna be upset if you do this, and where are the bodies buried, and where are all the landmines I might step in. So that part has been is advantageous when you're the newest kid on the street. But you're also, at the same time, trying to earn credibility and trust with a lot of people at the same time. And that's not even taking into account leading the team who has now come together as one department, who is who have mostly been at the firm five years or less. You know, we have a new structure, a new way of doing things, new leadership, new firm managing partners. So we're all trying to figure out the new normal. And that's really hard too because you have to take into account what people know and don't know, their strengths and weaknesses feelings and emotions, stress level, tolerance for pain, threshold for change, all of those things. So, you know, it's just as much the the leadership aspect is just as much about taking care of the team as it is making money for the attorney. So, so it's both things at the same time. And some days I have to say that's going to have to wait because we have, you know, Focusing on the team is the number one thing. And I tell them all the time, I wear the bulletproof vest and I stand in front of you. And so it's my job to shield them from what's coming down. And I say all the time, like, their poor planning or poor understanding is not our emergency. And that's really hard in a law firm where everything, they need everything right away and they forget to ask you until the last minute. And, oh my gosh, I'm not prepared or I don't understand this. Or they micromanage and want every single detail. But you know that is that has to change because again we are not order takers we are strategic advisors mm-hmm. to you.
0: Well, on the flip side of all of that, you must be incredibly proud that you've been able to essentially deliver was it seven million in terms of revenue to the firm that you can directly attribute to you and the team. So mm-hmm. on a personal level, after sort of eighteen months in the role, you must be very happy about that. But also, yes. you know, everything we've been out here for the team, you must be really proud about they've been able to go and achieve and I'm sure there's only more to come from that
1: yeah yes we're really proud of it we've built a really great team we're continuing to build it I probably have eight or ten more positions that need to be filled in the next year um we you know total, you know being totally honest came in and took time to make an assessment of the team members and there were some that weren't right for the firm or you know didn't want didn't like the change and it's like you know Change is inevitable, it's gonna happen all the time, every day, I mean, you don't, and so you've got to be able to deal with that and then find success inside of it. And I will do my best to stabilize and get homeostasis in our department, but I can't account for what happens to 58 people in the course of 24 hours. And so it's always changing. I mean, we have, there is always an HR in or out, you know, coming and going constantly. Who are we interviewing? And that in itself is a full-time job but leading through empowerment and the transparency of information are the two things because they were not getting the information they needed which made them feel like they weren't trusted made them feel like they didn't have a seat at the table or a voice and when you do that nobody's going to you're not going to get the best work product or loyalty out of a team so that has been you know very a very different you know, setting for them to work in. And I had many of the people who were star players were looking for jobs before I got there. And so it has been really fun to to get to know them and to shift the whole thing into a much more high-functioning mm-hmm. place where people want to stay. And that's getting naturally a better work product for the attorneys. In turn, the attorneys are happier. And so it's just start, but it just takes time to do yeah. that. But that's been the best for I'm sure. For sure.
0: I've been fortunate to meet a few of the team they're in a small section, given you've got 50 plus, but they're wonderful people. So I'm, I'm sure you're very proud of them. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we're getting towards the end of the conversation. In fact, we're on to the last last question. And um, as is pastoral tradition with us um, in the podcast, as we like to ask if there's one single piece of advice that you'd have to give in this topic around actually if any of the marketers in this room are looking to actually drive their firm from that more transactional, traditional marketing to that strategic. So mm-hmm. over to you.
1: Um- I would say, remind yourself every day, you are very good at what you do. You're very, very good at it. That is why you have your role. That is why they hired you. And on many more days than often, they are. Go- it is going to feel like I've got to put my helmet on and I'm just being asked to do the same thing over and over again. And how is this even contributing to the bottom line? And oh my gosh, you know, I feel like I'm up against this challenge or this particular attorney all the time. But you are good at what you do and staying in that and being able to convey that is so big and so huge, but that will propel you, your team, into a more strategic role if you can kind of stay convicted with that. Um, and, you know, pulling up those around you and and teaching those you know, and working together, but, but it's really sharing that information and empowering each other to be able to be part of that. I mean, you know, I know that we fear sometimes, oh, we've got too many people in this project or too many people in the room. And that is true. And you can feel your way through that. But I think it's incredibly important to do that because that's how people become a players. Um, you know, I think, I think enjoying what you do every day, um, is really important, but it's hard to enjoy it if you don't enjoy who you are working with. And, you know, when you're working with attorneys, you find the favorite ones who appreciate you, they become your champions and allies, and they will help spread the word. And if you don't have those, you have got to find those. And that will make or break what happens to you and your team, the resources that you get, and you've got to be able to navigate those politics and that internal, and build those champions and allies, and that's going to change everything for you or your team. You know, and unless you have those, it's very hard to get anywhere, especially if you're in a firm you know that's on the larger side.
0: That's a wonderful note to finish on. I think it's just so important you say to have that confidence in your knowledge and what you're doing. That doesn't matter whether you're sitting at the very top of the pile as in, in a C-suite role or whether you're more junior. Note, back yourself in terms of what you're doing. So, thank you very much for that. It's been thank wonderful. You. Before we fully round this off, we wanted to actually finish with um, a Q and A. So I don't know. Adam obviously came in with one, whilst well, so we're halfway through. Um, but if there's anybody in the room who's got a couple of questions, probably aimed more so at Eleanor than myself, um, then please feel free to open up. I think there might be a mic wandering around. With who's going to be first? Raise your hand. Oh, there's one at the back of the you room. Save well. me, Adam. Here we go. Your name? Adam Sievers. Your firm?
1: Uh, Baker Donaldson.
0: Okay. Take it away.
1: So I'm curious, Eleanor, in taking on the role that you did, what uh, surprised you most in the first 60 days? Um, in the first 60 days was the governance structure. I did not realize um, how much weight the offices have, which is a really unique structure. Um, and how little awareness (laughs) and knowledge they had of what the marketing, we, BD, we call it client growth. Um, what marketing, client growth, and communications were actually doing. Um, and so, and they are the budget approvers. So are department chairs, but they also have budgets and they have a lot of influence over what gets spent. Um, so if they're holding the money and they're holding the power, but they also don't really know what's happening, that's a lethal combination. And I did not, I mean, it's you You wouldn't know that when you're interviewing for a job, you know? I mean, you can't really, I suppose you, you could certainly ask, what's the governance structure here? Like how is your management committee or your executive committee made up? Um, I naively didn't ask that. It wouldn't have changed whether or not I joined them. But it is fair, it, it, cha- it would change, it took me a lot longer than I thought to figure out how to navigate that.
0: All right, another question, name?
1: Hi, I'm Maggie Miller. I'm from Lotus Blue Consulting. Um, my question is, you know, you talked a lot about how your focus as your team has really been on growth and being able to get to that dollar is, is being your North Star, um, But a lot of that requires collaboration among your other operations colleagues. So be that pricing, be that in operations, be that in practice management. So can you share a little bit about how you approach that collaboration? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Um So the legal ops function, um, we are attached at the hip. So that includes pricing and the practice directors we actually just started hiring practice directors we didn't have any until i don't know four months ago so now we have three with another one coming on soon so um we are attached at the hip we do almost everything together communicate constantly um they are doing their own for example client interviews so they more casual, we work with Wicker Park, and so we're doing them in a more formal way. But, you know, so we have to cross reference with them, you know, what is the, and, and help each other because, you know, for one, for example, you know, a fee arrangement request came out of it. So we've got to work together on that. But they didn't have all the information we had from what Wicker Park could pull out of them for us. And they had been trying to do it on their own because they don't have the Wicker Park resource that we do. So we sort of, you know, had to come together to do that. Um, every time they put a fee proposal or anything about, you know, anything, rates, any time they are, they also have a, you know, um, legal project management function, not practice management, but the legal project people on staff. And so they are working directly with clients for efficiency talking to billing, I mean, stuff that we don't really ever get into, but we are attached at the hip. We are two different departments, but we work very, very closely together and and otherwise it would be a disaster. I mean it would just we would just trip all over each other. Um, and then I would say the other group that we work with the most is recruiting, of course, because we are trying to help assess um, the candidates. They did not allow, allows kind of a strong word for that, but client growth wasn't really in those conversations ever. They would just hand us the new lateral and say, good luck to you. Let's hope that they become successful. And then that was it. So now we're trying to get into the beginning stages of evaluating candidates. I mean, look, anybody in this room can talk to a candidate, and we pretty much know in 30 minutes or less if they're going to work or not. But, you know, the attorneys would be shocked to know that we can do that. And I'm like, we could tell you today if that one's going to be a dud. And, you know, why don't you ask us first? Because we know what works and what doesn't. Um, at Bass, we got we were included in that. I ha- helped a lot with healthcare candidates. The practice, you know, the managing directors did, which was really effective. And so when I got to Barnes, they weren't doing that. And I was like, well, here's how this works because we can help. You know, and we know the background. So I would say we were recruiting legal ops and then Not as much with talent management, but we're getting there, and that's our version of professional development. So, you know, what is this, you know, the skills, capabilities for the associates, which ones are good, which ones are underperforming, how are we staffing matters, is that profitable, so on and so so forth. But the practice directors are now stepping in and doing that part now that they're here. Does that answer? Okay, good.
0: Time for one more. Who's got it?
1: Of course, you're way over there.
0: I'm coming steps in? I'm getting my steps in. That's right.
1: Name? Uh, Mahela Fonseca. I'm with Hutchison PLC. And my question was, um, what advice would you give to young marketers who are just early on their careers uh, so they can... Uh, develop themselves and be prepared for the type of mindset that you need to be in in order to handle the kind of situations that you talked about today? And, um, I mean, aside from joining organizations like the Legal Marketing Association. um, Mm -hmm.
0: Check's in the mail. Thank you. (laughs)
1: Um, What are some things that, you know, we could do so that either we obtain those opportunities or when we are presented with those opportunities, we're ready to handle them? Yeah, Um, that's a good question. For sure. I think there's a lot of ways to answer that. Um, Understanding the attorney's practice and what they do for a living and what they do day in and day out is huge. That's going to build your credibility and they're going to trust you. And then every time you walk into their office, if they have to tell you again what they do, you're dead in the water. You might as well. You know, you have to be someone said a long time ago, you have to be in and out and right and fast. So. You know, that part. So you got to know your audience and know who you're talking to and understand if they're, you know, patent prosecution, what does that mean? And, and, you know, chat GPT is our friend. You can learn about patent prosecution in about eight minutes. So our team actually, I will say, apply, we use it all the time, constantly. And for the more, the junior and career team members, I mean, they are cranking it out and using it. We're using it for bios. We're using it for, I mean, everything. Um, it has shortened the time. It gets you 50% of the way there. Then you know just enough that that's, that you don't, you don't have to know everything, but that that gets you just enough. You know, certainly know about the attorney and their practice and their clients before you walk in their office. Um, the comforting thing about law firms, and I've only moved from one to the other, so I've only moved one time um is that it's the same set of issues in a different four walls it is oddly oddly comforting so you know <laughs> what what you know you know what the issues are and so you know how to tackle those the difference is the history and the you know institutional knowledge and the egos and the pecking order of the people inside the attorneys If you can figure that out, and that's usually going to come from someone ahead of you because they've stepped in it a few dozen times and they know where not to step, you have to figure that out and then be able to navigate because the way you talk to and move alongside and help one attorney is not going to be the same as the other one. The roadmap for their, say, business development plan is the same. You know, all the pieces and parts of it, your web, your experience, your social, all that's the same. But how you deploy that and execute them, execute that with them and align it to what they do for a living is going to be different. Also based on their history, based on who they're competing with, both internally and externally, that is going to be different. And if you can figure out what that is, that's going to make or break what, how you are recognized inside your organization. And if you move up to the next level, being one step ahead is the best thing you can do. So if you, You know, there are some directors on my team that I promoted to directors. When I started, I only had two and now I have five because there were people on the team that were thinking 10, 12 steps ahead of me and feeding it to me as I went without having to ask because they knew I didn't know enough about the firm yet to know how to navigate that. And so I it avoided a lot of trip-ups I might have had because I didn't know enough about this attorney and that attorney and whatever. If those people are the ones that move up from you know good to great, from A players to A plus players. And so I would say staying that one step ahead is gonna be incredibly valuable.
0: Um, well, you. I guess to round this off, just wanna say a big thank you to Eleanor for obviously such a wonderfully interesting conversation. And um, something she didn't share was actually, she's driven all the way from India <laughs> today because they've got their all partner retreat over the next few days. So you're driving back this afternoon. So mm-hmm. I would say just a massive thank you to Eleanor, um, for being the star of the show and adding so much value. And uh, thank you for everybody for participating. Thank
1: you. Thank you. Good job.